Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Lore Candy. This week we're going to unwrap the main characters of Battle for Azeroth and beyond, starting with the Alliance. Next week we'll talk about the major players on the Horde side, so don't worry, we're not biased here. We love all factions equally. Go ahead, find an inn to rest at for a bit, and get ready for an explanation of the biggest names on the Alliance side of the aisle. First off, let's start at the top with the current king of the Alliance, Anduin Rin. His full name is Anduin Lane Rin, after Anduin Lothar, who we talked a bit about in the last episode, and his grandfather, and also one-time king of Stormwind, Lane Rin. When he was a child, his father Varian Rin was kidnapped, and he was quote-unquote king of Stormwind under Bolvar Fordragon, who is now the Lich King, and that's another lore topic we'll definitely dive into. Eventually, Varian did return to Stormwind, and reveals that one of Anduin's attendants and advisors, Katrana Prestor, is actually the black dragon Onyxia in disguise. Onyxia, now not trying to hide her scaly self, kidnaps Anduin, but Varian ends up killing Onyxia and saving Anduin. Anduin served as a liaison to many of the Alliance kingdoms in his youth, but was eventually taken by the prophet Velen, the leader of the Draenei, as an apprentice training to be a priest. While sailing on the Great Sea sometime during all this, Anduin's ship wrecks on Pandaria. Anduin ends up being instrumental in preventing Garrosh Hellscream, the war chief of the Horde at the time, from achieving his goals of destruction and mayhem there. Anduin has always tried to be a friend to all, even forming close ties with Bane Bloodhoof, the leader of the Tauren, and Jaina Proudmore, who we'll talk about shortly. When his father Varian died during the initial invasion of the Burning Legion this last time, Anduin became king for real, in practice and in name. Anduin's ultimate goal is to settle the conflict between the Alliance and the Horde, but as he has matured and grown, he now understands that that goal may necessarily be achieved with the deaths of many rather than peacefully as, as he once hoped. Now, next up is the king of Gilneas, Gen Greymane, originally brought the human kingdom of Gilneas in the Alliance, but he later withdrew due to political differences with the other leaders in the Alliance. He, at this point, had a giant wall constructed around Gilneas to set it apart from any outside influence or invasion. His people became the Worgen due to an unchecked curse from an archmage Arugal, who was only supposed to summon Worgen to protect Gilneas from the Scourge during the Third War, but ended up turning pretty much everyone in the whole place into giant furry dog people. During this period, Gen's son was killed by Sylvanas Windrunner, which is why he harbors such a deep hatred for her. He eventually accepted help from the Night Elves and relocated his people to Darnassus and rejoined the Alliance. He is a friend of Anduin, as he was very close to Varian before his death at the hands of the Burning Legion. Next up is a bit of a minor character, Spymaster Shaw. He is the leader of Stormwind's spies, known collectively as SI-7. He carries out Anduin's orders when more delicacy and secrecy is required. He's always been a bit of a background character, now only becoming more relevant really in this expansion. You'll actually find him on a ship in Kul Tiris near the mission table. Now we get to Jaina Proudmore, who I think is one of the most interesting and dynamic characters in the entire Warcraft universe. Now, Jaina is the daughter of Admiral Dalen Proudmore, who is now deceased, and Lady Catherine Proudmore, the leader of Kul Tiris, an island nation off the western coast of the Eastern Kingdoms. Derek Proudmore is her brother, who was killed during the Second War, but was recently raised by Sylvanas as an undead many years later. 
which is why Jaina is so shocked to see him in that cutscene where Bane Bloodhoof brings him to her. She's one of the most powerful mages to ever live, as we can see in many of the cutscenes of this expansion. Studied under the Archmage Antonidas, who we see a bit of in Warcraft 3, she was childhood friends and probable lovers with Arthas Menethil before he became the Lich King, another character we'll definitely do a deep dive on. In earlier years, she tried to make peace with the Horde, uniting with them to defeat the Legion at the Battle of Mount Hyjal in the Third War, cooperating with Thrall, who was another warchief of the Horde, to reach those common goals. After the Third War, she founded the city of Theramore, an alliance port city. This was a fairly important hub of activity and trade for many people. It was destroyed during the timeline of the Cataclysm expansion by Garrosh Hellscream. It is because of this that Jaina's hair became white. The plan to destroy Theramore included a giant mana bomb that would kill all the living people in Theramore. And when that bomb was dropped, she was thrown through a portal created by another mage by the name of Ronan, who was then the leader of the Kirin Tor. This did save Jaina's life, but bleached her hair permanently, and also changed her personality a bit. She used to be the head of the Kirin Tor after Ronan's death, and under her leadership, the Horde was actually exiled after the Horde-aligned Sunreaver mages stole an artifact known as the Divine Bell for Garrosh Hellscream, again the Horde warchief at the time. When the other leaders of the Kirin Tor decided later to readmit the Horde into their ranks, Janus stepped down as their leader and returned to Kul Tiras, where all of the events of BFA happened. Now, next up is Magni Bronzebeard, or Magni Bronzebeard. Also shows up uh, quite a bit in the expansion, and I've chosen to include him on the Alliance side as he was a dwarf before he became the neutral speaker for our planet. He is the former king of Cosmodon, head of the Bronzebeard clan, and the reason he's a diamond guy is that during the Cataclysm, Magna conducted a ritual to become one with the Earth, thinking that it would give him access to save his homeland from the tragedies happening elsewhere, all the earthquakes and volcanoes and things, the Deathwings opening up. The wording of the ritual ended up being much more literal than Magni thought, and turned him into a being of diamonds, essentially literally making him one with the earth. Eventually, Magni did awaken, and thus became a part of Azeroth itself, and thus its speaker. Another character who features prominently is Tyrande Whisperwind. Tyrande is the High Priestess of Elune, who is the goddess of the Night Elves. She is the former general of the Night Elf Sentinels, essentially the elite guards and warriors of the race. She is also the wife of Malfurion Stormrage, who we'll talk about in just a second. She was really important in the War of the Ancients. That was the war when the Night Elves lost their immortality. After Sylvanas ordered the burning of Teldrassil, the home of the Night Elves, Tyrande invokes the power of Elune to transform her into the Night Warrior, who is essentially the embodiment of Elune's not-so-peaceful side and uses that power to wreck the Horde forces. Now, Malfurion Stormrage, as mentioned above, is the husband of Tyrande, and the brother of Illidan Stormrage, who we will also cover in another episode, as he features in several expansions, and even during Warcraft 3. Uh, so pretty important. Malfurion was the first mortal druid on Azeroth. He was trained by Cenarius himself. Cenarius is a centaur-looking half-god who brought the powers of druidism to the other inhabitants of Azeroth. Malfurion and Tyrande assumed leadership over the Night Elves after the fall of Queen Ashara, who, of course, we will talk about a little bit in depth in another episode. In Warcraft 3, and, and in some other instances, some people refer to Malfurion as Shando Stormrage, which just means teacher or master in the Night Elf language of Darnassian. 
Chandra's Feathermoon is another name that pops up here and there. She is the current leader of the Night Elf Sentinels and very close friend of Tyrande, even going as far in many instances to be referred to as Tyrande's daughter. She also fought in the War of the Ancients and led her people in the Third War. We are going to round off this episode with Velen, the leader of the Draenei. He and many of his people fled the planet Argus 25,000 years ago after rejecting an offer of power from Sargeras, who we all know is a real bad guy, and the subsequent demolishing of their home planet by the Burning Legion. He used to lead the Draenei in a council, with two other Draenei killed Jaden and Archimonde, who did end up accepting the offer from Sargeras and becoming huge demonic raid bosses in the Legion expansion. And we all know you only get to be a raid boss if you're truly a garbage being. Velen planet hopped for a while, settling for a brief stint on Draenor before eventually landing their spaceship, the Exodar, on Azeroth and joining the Alliance. Velen desires to eventually return his people to Arcus, their original home, of course, free of the Legion's demonic influence. <laughs> And there we go. That is going to wrap us up for this episode of Lore Candy. Let me know if there's anyone that I missed or if there is some important info I should have mentioned. Go ahead and shoot me an email to lorecandypod at gmail.com. Next week, we will be talking about the important green people, dead people, and cow people on the Horde side of this whole mess. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for more Lore Candy. It's candy for your nerdy little mind. Mm-hmm.